The reading is from Leviticus chapter 16, which is page 118 in the Church Bible, and 163 in the large print. Leviticus chapter 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash round him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. 
He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his ordinary garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterwards, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and intestines are to be burned. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterwards, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest to make atonement, he is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done, as the Lord commanded Moses. Thanks very much for that, Val. Do keep that open. And let's pray together. (coughs) Father God, as we come to your word now, please would you open your word up to us, and would you open us up to your word, that we might know you better, and that we might love you more. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, if you remember last week, we began a new series, which we called The Glory of the Cross. And over these four weeks, we're going to look at four big Bible words that you can see up there on the screen. Justification, atonement, 
redemption and reconciliation. Four pictures that God gives us to help us understand what he accomplished at the cross for us in his son Jesus Christ. And last week we looked at that word justification, what it means to be justified freely by his grace. And as we noted, justification is a legal word. It is a, it's a legal declaration of our right standing before God. We are not guilty in God's sight of any crime. Why? Because the Lord Jesus has already paid for it in full at the cross. He stepped into the dock in our place and was found guilty. So that we might walk out of that courtroom free and forgiven. Or as Paul puts it in Romans 3 verse 22 this righteousness is given it is given to us through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe now of course there's a lot more we could have said last week about justification about its scope and about its impact but for now we're going to leave the legal world behind we're going to step out of the courtroom the law courts and we're going to step into the temple courts as we explore the meaning of atonement A word that, as we'll see, is tied together so closely with the theme of sacrifice, which runs all the way through Scripture and finds its climax at the cross. But before we get there, we're going to begin our journey in Leviticus chapter 16, which has just been read to us, which gives us great detail of this day of atonement. And the purpose of the day is probably clearest for us in verse 30. On this day we read, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. You see, the problem is that we are dirty. We've got dirty hearts. We're contaminated by sin. And we need to be cleaned up by God before we can come into his holy presence. We need to have our sin atoned for. And as we work through this chapter this evening, I hope we're going to see three things. Firstly, our need for atonement. Why is atonement necessary? Then the heart of atonement. If we're trying to define what atonement really is, we're going to get right to the heart of this glorious word, atonement. And then thirdly, the fruit of atonement. What are the glorious results of having our sin atoned for? And we're going to begin with our need for atonement in verse 1 of chapter 16 where we read this the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord it's a summary of a fuller account that we get back in chapter 10 verse 1 and 2 where we read this Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu took their censers put fire in them and added incense and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord contrary to his command so fire came out from the presence of the lord and consumed them and they died before the lord here is a picture of what happens when sinful people come into the presence of a holy god without having their sin atoned for they get consumed they get burned up in his glorious all-consuming holy presence now i imagine most of you are familiar with this picture on the screen, the historic moment, the only time England had won the World Cup back in 1966. And here's Bobby Moore who led the team to victory as he's receiving the Jules Rimet trophy from the Queen. And not long before 
Bobby Moore's death, he was interviewed about his life. And one of the things that they spoke about was this moment, a significant moment in his life. But as they unpacked it and talked about it, it became clear that it wasn't actually a moment that filled Bobby Moore with great joy. He actually felt pretty worried about this moment. And as he talked about it, it became clear why. And he said this, as I was walking up the Wembley steps to receive the trophy from the Queen, he said, I looked down at myself, a commoner, a cockney from the east end of London, covered in the mud of Wembley turf, 120 minutes of football, sweating, dirty, smelly. And he said, I looked at the top of the steps and there was the Queen herself, prim and proper, with a little white velvet gloves on, and he said, I just felt unworthy to come into her presence and to shake her hand. You see, it's just a little glimpse of what it's like for us to come into the presence of a holy God. You see, we're not just dirty on the outside, we're filthy to the very core of our being. We've rejected our our Lord and our Maker in our hearts. And God isn't just royalty, of some country. He's the cosmic creator of all things, our holy, righteous, glorious, majestic God. We cannot just wander into the presence of a holy God and be okay. And if you to rewatch the footage of that moment, you'll see Bobby Moore climbing the steps and he's frantically wiping his hands on his shorts to try and clean himself up before he comes into the Queen's presence. That's why the story of Nadab and Abihu is written down for us. We cannot just walk into the presence of a holy God and be okay. And so we're forced to ask this question at the beginning of Leviticus chapter 16. How? How can a holy God continue to dwell in the midst of sinful people. Here is a God who has redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. He's brought them out with mighty acts. He's appeared to them at the top of Mount Sinai in glory. He's spoken to these people. He's committed himself to them. You will be my people and I will be your God. But how can this be? How can God stay with his people and take them all the way to the promised land without destroying them? When he's so holy and they are so sinful, or to put it another way, how can we approach the Lord without being burned up in his holy presence? And the answer to that question is found in the sacrificial system and a sacrifice that God ultimately provides for his people. You see, here's what we need to understand. It is God who makes atonement for our sin. It's God who makes atonement for our sin. And I think that probably stands in contrast, if we do use the word today, it stands in contrast to how the word is used. You might hear of of an argument between a husband and a wife, and a husband has said some stuff that he shouldn't have said, he's done something pretty bad. So what does he try to do? He tries to make amends for his sin. He'll take her out for dinner. He'll try to cover up what he's just done with a good deed. He'll try to make amends for his wrongdoing. He'll try to atone for his own error. But you see, when it comes to our relationship with God, we cannot atone for our own sin. We cannot make amends for our wrongdoing. Like Bobby Moore, we cannot clean ourselves up before we come into the presence of God. We cannot do it. We need God 
to atone for our sin. You see, the problem is much deeper than the surface. It's in our hearts. And a deep problem requires a deep solution that only God can provide. You see, one day we'll come into the presence of this holy God. And we don't want to end up like Nadab and Abihu. Firstly, there is a great need for atonement. And then secondly, we come to the heart of atonement, which, as we'll see, surrounds the the sacrifice of two goats. But before we get to these two goats, it's probably helpful to step back and see the bigger picture of what was happening on that day. You see, the Day of Atonement, this, this annual ceremony that happened once a year, it was full of elaborate ritual and symbols. There were special garments to be worn. There was ceremonial washing that took place. There's a cloud of incense that, that hid the high, the high priest from, from the glory of God's presence. There was this huge curtain that hung in the temple between the holy place and the most holy place. And it wasn't there to keep God in. It was there to keep sinful people out. It hung there like a big no-entry sign, 365 days a year, as a constant reminder to these people they cannot just walk in to the presence of a holy God and be okay. And one of Aaron's main jobs as, as the high priest on this day, every year, was to carry the blood of a sacrifice into the presence of God, to go behind that curtain to the place where God dwelt, to make atonement for the people's sin. That's why in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is called the great high priest, because he came to do the same priestly work to atone for our sin by carrying his own blood into the presence of God, the very heart of God's presence as a full and final sacrifice for sin. Now, of course, there's a lot more going on in Leviticus 16 than we're going to have time to address this evening. But the main action is certainly focused on these two goats, as you see here in the picture. Have a look down at verse 5. From the Israelite community, he, that's Aaron at this point, as, as the high priest is to take two male goats for a sin offering. Verse 7 and 8, then he's to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. You see, two goats are to be presented before the Lord. One will be killed as a sacrifice for sin and the other will carry Israel's sin out of the camp and into the wilderness. And together, if we bring these two goats together, they give us a pretty full understanding of what atonement is. Let's have a look at the scapegoat first. Verse 20 to 22. This is what we read. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it 
in the wilderness. What a brilliant picture this is of what God does with sin. Aaron symbolically transfers the sin of Israel onto this live goat. He lays his hands on its head as this symbol of of sin being transferred to another before it's led away into the wilderness carrying the sin of the people with it. It's what David alludes to in Psalm 103, isn't it? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. A picture of sin being transferred to something else and carried away to an immeasurable distance. It's almost certainly what Isaiah had in mind as well in Isaiah 53 verse 6, which John preached on just a few weeks ago. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the hands laid upon him, the iniquity of us all. Just as this sin was laid to the account of a goat who was going to take it away, so the sin of the people of this world was laid to the account of the Lord Jesus. And he takes it away. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. But of course, that's only half the story. Because on the Day of Atonement, there were two goats, and we must understand both to get a grip of what atonement is. And so firstly, we've got a scapegoat, and the picture is is a transfer of sin, a taking of our sin away. But secondly, we have a dead goat, a goat that dies in the place of sinners. Have a look at verse 15 to 17, where we read about this goat. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanliness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He's to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Well, as we just read in those verses, our second goat is presented before the Lord and is killed on the altar. Do you see there in the diagram if you can see that in, up there on the screen. You see the altar out there in, in the courtyard. The two goats, no doubt, would have been strung up somewhere nearby. And, and this second goat is taken to the altar and it's slaughtered on the altar. There had been blood everywhere. And then the blood of this goat is, is taken, as you can see, into the most, not into the moat, into the holy place first. Where there's the bread of the presence and there's a lampstand and there's the altar of incense where, where the cloud of incense came up to hide the priest, the high priest from the glory of God. But then still carrying this blood, the high priest goes through that curtain. Only once a year could anyone enter through that curtain into the most holy place. And he takes the blood of this sacrifice right into the heart, the very presence of God, and he sprinkles it on the atonement cover. 
It's like the lid that lay on the Ark of the Covenant where, where the tablets of the Ten Commandments were the very heart of God and Aaron sprinkles his blood in the most holy place to make atonement for the sin of the people. But here's the big question. What does this add? What does our second goat add to our understanding of atonement? The answer, I think, is actually quite simple. For atonement to be made, a death must occur. It's the pattern throughout Scripture. From, from God clothing Adam and Eve's nakedness in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, all the way through to the Lamb's book of life that we thought about this morning. The Lamb who was slain for the sin of this world, Revelation chapter 21. All the way through. These twin themes of of sacrifice and substitute run all the way through Scripture like a golden thread and find their climax right at the cross. You see, God cannot just sweep sin under the carpet and forget about it. He can't just wash it away, take it away and pretend it's not happened. For God to remain just, something or somebody must pay the penalty for sin. There must be a death. And the penalty for sin is death. We'll learn it back in Genesis chapter 2. If you eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. We see it again, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin, what we deserve for our sin is death. And here in Leviticus chapter 16, it is a goat that dies in the place of sinners. But of course, if you were to read the book of Hebrews, you'll know that the blood of bulls and goats cannot actually take away our sin. These events in Leviticus point us forward to the one perfect human sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on the cross who died in the place of, on behalf of sinners. As we read in Romans 3.25, this came up in our reading last week, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. You see, it wasn't a bull or a goat that was presented at the altar of the cross, but the Lord Jesus, who made atonement for our sin through the shedding of his blood. And so you see, the two goats give us two pictures of the same event. The scapegoat is a picture of sin being transferred to something else and that sin being taken as far away from us as you could possibly imagine. But the second helps understand exactly where this is placed. It's placed on something else. It's placed on somebody else. Somebody's got to die in the place of sinners. And of course, both these pictures The scapegoat and the sacrifice goat come together and find their fulfillment at the cross where our sin was transferred to another, being Jesus. And he paid the penalty. Died in our place. And final sacrifice for sin. As Don McLeod says in his commentary, some people speak of the horror of this theory. That's the theory of penal that there's a penalty to be paid and Jesus stepped in as a substitute and paid that penalty on our behalf. But look what he goes on to say. But what happened to Christ on the cross? He died. And what is death? It's the penalty for sin. 
The question of whether Christ endured the penalty of sin is not a question of theory. It is a question of fact. He was dealt with as sin deserves. The glory of it is. It was ours. Firstly, there is a great need for atonement. Remember Nadab and Abihu. Secondly, we get to the heart of atonement, the scapegoat and the sacrifice goat. And lastly, we get of atonement. And of course, fruit is plentiful. But let me highlight two things that atonement means for us today. Firstly, we are clean. If you trust in Christ this evening, you're clean. The blood of bulls and goats, goats and bulls, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkle on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the internal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? You see, the Old Testament sacrificial system in some way helps with our external ceremonial uncleanliness. But the atoning work of Jesus at the cross is the full service. It gives us a deep, lasting clean of our hearts and our consciences. It it washes us clean all the way through. And so we don't need to be like Bobby Moore, trying to clean ourselves up, trying to make amends for our own sin, trying to cover the wrong that we've done with good deeds that we think in some well we'll sort ourselves out. We cannot do that and we don't need to do that. Because Christ has already given of himself on the cross. And if only we would trust him, we would know the wonder of being clean before a holy God. Firstly, we are clean. And then secondly, we have access. You remember the curtain that hung between the holy place and the most holy place? A constant three, six, five days a year reminder that we cannot just walk into the presence of a holy God and be okay. But do you remember what happened to that curtain? When the Lord Jesus died on the cross at the end of Mark's gospel, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God ripped it down. The barrier that presented people coming into the presence of God when Jesus died on the cross, it was torn in two showing us that we can freely walk into the presence of an all-glorious, all-satisfying God and enjoy his infinite worth forever. Remember the question we began with? How can a holy God continue to dwell in the midst of sinful people? How can God, by his Spirit, come to live in my heart, your heart, today? Answer? Through the atoning work of Jesus at the cross. A work that makes us clean. Perfectly clean and wonderfully so. And a work that gives us access into the very presence of God. Here is love, isn't it? At the cross. Here is love. As vast as the ocean. Loving kindness as the flood. When the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood.
Maybe take a moment just to think through that verse, which we'll sing shortly. Maybe think through some of the things we've been addressing this evening. Our need for atonement. The heart of atonement, the scapegoat and the sacrifice goat, and then the wonderful fruits of atonement that we can enjoy today and for all eternity.